Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you have got the rig radio uh, coming at you hot, heavy, and hard. I didn't write as uh, much of a clever intro. We just have to get into it right now. But before we get into it, I guess I should uh, tell you who you're getting into it with. Avery, just who the hell do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Well, I am, as per usual, the token black guy of the Oilers rig. I also write for Sports Illustrated, the Hockey News, Yahoo Sports Canada, Avery Sports Show, the Brian Avery Hour. I am everywhere. I am everywhere. I am ever present. I am by your bedside every single night. That's how we do it. <laughs> the ubiquitous, uh, omnipresent, and somewhat invasive Avery, who, by the way, there's an equal number of black and white men on this show. I don't know why you get to be the token. I want to be the token. You be the majority. I get to be the token. Uh, Megan, <laughs> how about you? What's your deal? I'm clearly the token woman. Um <laughs> I feel like we cannot dispute that one. Uh, I teach high school here in Edmonton, and uh, it's the end of the first semester. And let me tell you, I'm real excited about that. Um, I really like my job, and I like the kids that I teach most of the time. Uh, but this term has been really tough, and I get a reset, and I'm just looking forward to that. I am not you know, everywhere, though, and Avery has never been anywhere close to my house. All right, you heard it here first. <laughs> Avery is so good at sneaking around. Megan doesn't even know how often he's at her bedside. She can't say for sure. Uh, that is good for you, Avery. I'm, in, I'm impressed. Uh, my name's Stephen Darnell. I am uh, nobody. Let's move forward. Since December 1st, the Oilers have only won three of the last 16 games. They are 3-13. and 13. During that time, they have had the worst points percentage in the league. The worst goals against per game, the worst save percentage, the worst goal differential, and the worst penalty kill. Now, why some of those are just reflections of that three and thirteen, but some of them are explaining how that happened. Uh, their penalty kill is historically quite good, and their save percentage. I don't think anyone thought goaltending was going to be a strength. Uh, a number of us even thought that it might be a weakness. I will say, I personally did not think it would be this bad. I am quite taken aback by how bad the goaltending has become, especially as it started out quite good. Uh, Koskinen had a very good 10-game stretch, and Skinner, I don't think he quite made it 10, but Skinner started started the season uh, quite hot. There was reason to believe we would at least get league average goaltending or something be in the middle third is maybe a better way to put it, and um, you know that that would be at least enough to keep us decent. However, if you look at goal saved above average, um, uh, any other like high danger. We have had the worst goaltending in the league since December in almost every way you want to look at it, or if not the worst, very bad. But we should point out that while the goaltending has been bad, their shooting percentage has also cratered. They're still creating a reasonable number of shots, but they uh, aren't scoring. It seems like they're getting very unlucky. Um, and many observers have noted that while they've been losing they haven't been playing dramatically worse. So maybe while they were getting extremely lucky in the first 10 to 15 games, they're getting extremely unlucky now. Uh, so you know what, Megan, you have been more engaged with the Oilers than I've seen you in years over the last two weeks, something a switch <laughs> seems to have put on you. So please sort that out for me. Tell me what is the real story with the Oilers? Um, Oh, well, the thing that I keep thinking about, I talk about at work sometimes with some of the guys that I work with. The thing I keep thinking about is 
Um, the comment that Koskinen made after he got thrown under the bus about his performance, whatever that was, 10 days ago, week and a half, I don't know, whatever. And he said that, like, yeah, he's not been playing great, but he's also not the one who scores goals. So, like, there's more to it than just poor goaltending. Their goaltending has not been great. I think that we can all definitely agree with that. But there's something going on inside that locker room. I don't know what it is. Um, and it's just... I think the word I would use best to describe it would be despondent. They seem to be like when you look on the bench and like, I mean, I don't know, there were some pretty good long camera shots of McDavid and Dreisaitl on the bench last game. And they both just looked like they wanted a sinkhole to open up underneath them and swallow them up. So they didn't have to be there anymore, uh, which to be fair, I don't know if I'd have wanted to be there either. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I do think there needs to be some kind of a change. There yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, the cries of do something are something that I normally reject. I think moves for the sake of moves are usually a bad way to, or a great way to make a bad move. But we are approaching the point where it starts to make sense. I don't know, Avery, can you sort out this team? Uh, if I could sort this team out, I'd be the president, I'd be the GM, I'd be the head coach, all in the same dose, if that was possible. But right now, like, it's tough because there have been some games they played which have not looked that bad. They, they give against the Panthers. They keep little great in the first period. They outshot Florida, what, 16-7 early on. They got pressure on Bobrovsky. They just couldn't beat him. And right now, this is a team that when they can't when they can't score early, they it, 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 it's as if they give up. It, it, they give up when they can't. They get frustrated. Guys like Dry and McDavid haven't scored either. And they're just not getting any production from any area. And once again, when Connor and Dry don't score, the rest of the forward core can't do anything else. That's deeply concerning. And once again, defensively, you're seeing defensive errors from so many aspects of that those that group from pairing one through three. I'm not really sure what the quick fix is, but I do think that if you do let go of Tippett, they do need a new voice in the room to reset something in some way. Be it a, be it a Jay Woodcroft or somebody. I think you bring up a Woodcroft. He could reset some things that could get them out of this rut they're in to an extent, I believe, really. Um. Yeah, I I honestly think uh, it's a deep conversation. How did a team that was at least decent, even if they were getting lucky, which they unquestionably were, they were still mm -hmm. playing decent and by many metrics are still continuing to play decent. What should you do? Again, I don't want to make it seem like they're playing good. Oh, they're getting screwed. They're really a cup contender. They're not. They are really an average team is what I think is the truth. That is getting extremely unlucky. Um the easiest thing to do is fire the coach. And I think that Holland made a decent point when basically when he said firing a good coach for the sake of firing a coach is often not a good idea. And I do think that Tippett is a decent coach. I think his career shows that he is a competent NHL coach who is good at certain things. I think I probably would fire him at this point. Or A, what Megan said, you need to change something. You cannot just do nothing like there's far too many jerseys are starting to hit the ice i really am against letting the fans make personnel decisions but there just comes a certain point when it's kind of cruel and unusual to keep a coach in a position um that's just such an easy change to make although even then it sounds by all accounts like it's likely to be glenn uh, glisson who takes over so i don't know how much real change you're gonna get but um if only to distract the fans, you've got to be getting close. But the other thing, the reason why I am okay with Dave Tippett getting fired is he had such a heavy hand in this roster construction. It was clear that there was some guys that he 
liked and those guys got brought back or brought in in some cases. And there's some people he wasn't a huge fan of and they were not prioritized by management. Um, and I don't think those decisions are working out. I think that uh, Dave Tippett's favorites are not doing well. The penalty kill is suffering. His historical strength has been coaching low talent players into playing fairly successful low event hockey. That is exactly what's not happening on the Oilers. Their high talent players are making things happen, but their bottom six has not been breaking things off at even. Their bottom six is getting their heads caved in. So I certainly think you could start with um, firing the coach. It would be nice to get a new goalie. I don't know, Megan, you made a good point that, or Koskinen made a good point that he can't score the goals for the team, but he's been bad. Uh, my man Skinner's been bad. Smith's been bad when he's been around, but he's been hurt mostly. How desperate are you for a goalie if you were running the team? Um, I think I think that has to be your number one priority right now, only because I like I think there are other things on the. I think there are other things that are actually probably more long-term problematic, but I think in the, like, if you want to make the playoffs right now, and like, let's be honest with the, the talent they have up front, they should be able to ultimately um, you need a goaltender and you need, or you need a goaltender who's not going to give up the first goal every game. Like you can't play from behind all the time and expect to win hockey games. I like, it's got to suck. And that, you know, that's hard work, but you know, it would be nice, I guess, um, to play with the lead once in a while rather than playing from behind. Um, that being said, I also think, and I don't know that this is necessarily true all the time, but I also think that if the guys on the ice uh, have um, confidence in the goaltender, right? I think that the the guys playing in front of him have some confidence that, yes, he's going to make those saves and that, and that kind of thing, um, that I think everything just kind of works a little bit better. Uh, so I feel like goaltending is probably – the big need. The problem, of course, is how much are you willing to pay for a goaltender uh, who may or may not end up being just a rental? And where are you going to find the solution to the problem? That is exactly it. There are a number of names that have been brought up and they basically come in uh, two different categories. One category is Marc-Andre Fleury. And the second category is guys who uh, don't necessarily seem to be a slam dunk to be that good either. So I don't know that you want to trade a bunch for a guy who's himself going to be a bottom third of the league goalie, or maybe, maybe like maybe they'll be good, but maybe they won't like Billy Huso is having a great season in St. Louis. He's apparently less than 20 career NHL games. Like, he could just be a backup who's on a nice run in front of a nice defensive team. James Reimer is having a very good season in San Jose. He's getting old. Like, I think he will be at least competent. I think he'll be an upgrade on what we have. I just don't know how much of an upgrade. He's he's just not an all-star caliber goalie. But at this point, we're so desperate that I think you could make a case that we should trade for Laurent Boswant off uh, the Knights because he's he's been bad. He's been sub-average. But his 900 save percentage would be by far the best on the Oilers right now. So even if we just took a crappy goaltender who's just less crappy, it might be an update, upgrade. But, uh, no, I definitely agree that the hardest part there is um, is who are you going after and then how much do you pay for what's like likely to be a short-term solution. I don't know. Avery, who do you like in the goalie market? Avery, you're muted. Right, you're there we go. There we go. <laughs> 
no, right now there isn't really much to like. I know I've heard Martin Jones' name that's been involved, Mark Andre Fleury. Like, it really isn't that much. I mean, I think I think I I do think Fleury should be a guy you get, but again, this team doesn't know how this team isn't creative when it comes to salary. The Oilers aren't creative enough to get a third team into a trade and make the money work. That's the one problem when it comes to this franchise. I mean, you could try and get him, but Ken Holland isn't a guy who can make who can make a three or four team trade work because he doesn't do them, which is to me as a GM baffling. Holland is notoriously uncreative. I the flurry trade is actually really easy to get done if you're willing to pay for it. You just trade Koskinen for Flurry 50% retained. That balances off. It's just what now will you add to that? What are you willing to give for what is likely going to be a few months of Marc Andre Fleury, who by himself, by the way, has been about league average. He's had some good games in front of a bad Chicago team. I definitely think he would work uh, for us, but don't think he's he's not having another Vesna season. I'll, I'll put it that way. So I don't know. Megan, if Fleury is the best option, and we just outlined the people who are saying, oh, it's cost prohibitive. No, it isn't. That's very easy to do. Fleury 50% for Koskinen plus whatever. Would you give a first rounder for a rental? I think at this point, I don't think they have a choice. Like, ultimately, <laughs> I, I think it's. Anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I think you maybe. Yeah, you, you'd have to sweeten a deal, I think to get a goaltender like that. And there's also no guarantee that obviously, you know, that would work, but it might be better than tough picture. And then you don't want to, unless the big exception is uh, Colorado's goaltending hasn't been great. Or being too soft on him. Yeah, no, by all means, he's not a good GM. I'm not being pro Holland. It's only on goaltending specifically. I have some sympathy for him. As I agree, he didn't solve it, but uh, he at least didn't not solve it expensively. Like we, our goaltending is at least cheap. We didn't trade anything big to have bad goaltending. Though that said, it's been so terrible that Kemper, even as bad as Kemper has been, he would be an upgrade here. Uh, Samin Varlamov has lost his starting job. That's a guy that I kind of like, but it all depends on who would who'd come here. Um, me personally, I'll say I would trade the first if there was a good deal, but I I would rather go for roster help. I know that if we don't fix the goaltending, then nothing's going to matter. I'm aware of that. But if I'm trading the first, I would rather bolster the defense, which the goaltending, at least it's conceivable that it will bounce back to being – NHL caliber, even if it's bad, uh, it might just be not as bad. But the defense, I don't think that's going to get better um, uh, unless we add someone. So I would absolutely be in the market on a Jacob Chikrin. There are Anaheim sliding. Maybe they would trade either Manson or Lindholm. Those are both people I would be very interested in. Um, 
they're both expiring contracts, but I think they're a lot more likely to resign than uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is. Um, there are just players, defensemen around the league. That is what I would be looking to sail the first on. Chikrin's just such an obvious option because he's uh, signed for years after this. He's young. He's on the block. Um, he fits. That's that's what I'd be doing with the first. But uh, I agree. We kind of can't not address the goaltending some way. I just uh, don't know how to do it. I feel bad. No, I don't feel bad for the coach. He's getting submarine by goaltending. No coach is going to win with this goaltending, but he hasn't been good enough that I can say he's getting screwed. I feel like anytime you can make an upgrade, as the Golden Knights are teaching us, it's a good time to make an upgrade. On that note, is it time to upgrade the GM, Avery? Yes, it is. It really is time to upgrade the GM because, again, Ken Holland, he lost the summer in which he had $25 million. He had a chance to upgrade for depth goaltending, defense, didn't do it, which is amazing in itself that you strike out in all these aspects. And once again, he talks to the media. He's not he's not willing to sacrifice a first-round pick or prospects when this is the time to go for it and be all in. If you're not going to sacrifice your prospects or a pick, then when is the time to go all in? 2027, 2028? Like, you have McDavid and Dreisaitl right now playing their best hockey, playing by putting up stats that have not been seen in 25 years. How do you not go for it? How are you not all in? And I really believe it is time for a change in that position because he's proven multiple times in his tenure he's not the GM for the job. He really isn't. Is the problem that they're not going for it? Like you look at their uh, cap-friendly page, it's not like they have all their draft picks from the next several years. You look at our, our prospects, it's not like we've like, our, our hoarding uh, prospects or anything. We've made some big money moves. We're a capped out team. We've uh, traded, um, uh, we, you know, we've got fancy expensive veterans that we traded draft picks for. Avery. I'm not sure if the issue is, do you like, do you feel that, that Holland is keeping his powder dry too much that he's not going for it? I really think so. I look at, I look at what the money he has spent on. He brought in Duncan Keith. Like that's the thing you spend your money on. Selling Brad Malone. Like he's the kind of moves that aren't the, they don't scream to me. GM that wants to win, or he's looking at Evander Kane, someone who I firmly believe is a thousand times worth. Like Evander Kane, is someone who you should not be considering. All the ice issues are there. We know what he's done, which is deplorable. And like, it's the kind of guy like that's your big move because you're desperate. Like, there were a lot of guys Colin could have gone after. He didn't go after, and now he's and any deal he makes going forward now, opposing GMs are not going to help him out. They know he's desperate. So is that guy you really want leading this team going forward? I really don't. You know, I got to kind of take it back. I'm looking at our draft picks for the next three years. We're only missing two of them, either a second or a third, depending on how far we make it. That's a condition on Duncan Keith this year. And we traded our fourth rounder. I can't remember who we got for that um, this year uh, for Kulikov last year. So, yeah, we do have a lot of uh, picks, which are good for sustain. I don't know. Megan, do you feel our problem is we're not going for it? Well, well, no, I think here's the thing. I think Ken Holland thinks that they're going for it. But I think that Ken Holland thinks that they're going for it in, like, 2012. I think that's the problem. <laughs> um, like, and it, it's the same sort of thing as, like, the thinking, I think, that brought Lucic to Edmonton. Um, that Peter Trelli signed him knowing what he had been capable of in Boston like five years prior, not necessarily what he was going to be capable of 
at age 27. Um, and I think that that's maybe where the problem lies is that looking from like that kind of old hockey man way of thinking and looking at a guy like Duncan Keith, and if you value, you know, uh, results, if you value, value past experience and past success better than you do um, projections, then you're going to, you're going to trade for Duncan Keith, right? Like that's what's going to end up happening. You're going to, you're going to have someone like that on your, on your roster, even though it's quite clear that that's maybe not the thing that you need to solve the problem that you have. So I think management thinks that they're going for it, but I don't think that the decisions they made um, make, make it viable that they're going for it in this particular setting. I uh, I think that's closer to what I believe that they think they think they are going for. Let me let me present to you a scenario which I do think is realistic. Uh, let's say that Holland knows and understands, as does Euler, like the the higher up brass, that this is his season. We had the summer of Ken, as many people pointed out. Not only did they have twenty six million in cap space. They had 26 million in cap space with the key guys they needed already in place other than a goalie and lots of player movement. There were a lot of UFAs. There were a lot of trades that happened this summer. He, All of the bad contracts, with the exception of Koskinen, had expired. He was finally set up to make his team. This is it. This is They got knocked out in the first round the last two years. Okay, Ken, this is your team. Let's see what happens. Your your legacy with the Oilers is now 100% on you starting now. And let's say everybody understands that. And the expectation was probably second round is the bare minimum level of success. And now we're at this point. So, like, okay, his, his ass is actually on the line. Things are going terribly. Do you owe Holland the rest of the season, Avery? Can he say, like, hey, we're going through a stretch of bad luck. I have this plan, which you approved of in the summer. You got to give me the, the season to, to see it out. Uh, I don't know if you have time to see on this plan because right now they are only above the Seattle Kraken in the Western in the Pacific Division right now. The plan can only be seen through if this team turns around. How much longer can you wait if this team loses another eight more games or loses eight in a row or nine in a row or ten in a row? At a certain point, you gotta say, you know what? Sorry, Ken. We're in a free fall right now. We can't see through it. And if this happens again next year, then I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It's a bad spot they're in right now. If this team wasn't what five points back in last wild card spot right now, I may I might say things differently. But right now, again, you are only above the Kraken in your division. You don't have time to wait for his plan. <laughs> um. Okay, I'll throw that to Megan before I answer. Go, up. Megan. What do you think? Do we owe Ken Holland? Uh, like this was his season. Let's see how the season of Ken goes before we make a decision. No, not anymore. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Uh, No, I don't think we we owe him anything anymore. He had his opportunity. um, And it's so the idea of a stretch of bad luck is interesting because I think we could probably fairly confidently say that they're six. Was it 16 and five? Was that 16 and three? Whatever their start was. We were Um, were 16 and five, and since then we went three and 16. Yeah, so I you you could say that that stretch of 16 and 5 was also just good luck for the most part, right? Like their power play was absolutely out of control uh, and there was a bunch of stuff happening. And so what we're seeing now is 
unfortunately, what people out in the world were observing and predicting is just that regression back to the mean. Like, this is the team that they have, and this is what they are. And what they are is not a playoff team. And if management thinks that they are a playoff team, then management needs to go because they're very clearly not, not the way they're made up right now. Okay, I'm going to push back against both of you. Uh, I I mean, I genuinely don't think you can say that they very clearly aren't. And here's why. I'm looking at, I finally found it stacked up like division, so I can I can challenge Avery on Avery's terms. It's true. We are only ahead of Seattle. But of the teams ahead of us, the only one that's going to for sure stay ahead of us is Vegas. Vegas, and I'm really only saying that because they are so good. Their roster is so good. I think injuries have played such a big factor in why they're not even further ahead of everyone. I think Vegas is a lock. Anaheim is second in the div. They're three and seven over their last 10. Their roster is starting to look wobbly. They only have a plus two goal differential. That's only four better than Edmonton. I think it is extremely realistic that Anaheim misses the playoffs. Then you have Los Angeles, who's six and four in their last 10, has the exact same goal differential, the exact same leaky roster, though. I think that they are riding some good fortune, uh, and they're also approaching a deadline. They're building team. They might sell some of their – they might decide that they're definitely not winning the cup this year. They might decide that it's a good time to look to the future. I think it's very realistic that Los Angeles misses the playoffs. Uh, San Jose has been – better than I think the doomsayers were predicting, but they're just not a good team. They have a worse goal differential than the Oilers. They've been pretty much middling all season long. At no point have they looked good. They just have been not terrible. Um, I'm not afraid of the Sharks. I don't think it's a lock that they uh, keep doing well. Calgary has actually looked great. They have um, good underlying stats of actually the best goal differential in the div, but they've been 3-6-1 and one over their last 10. I would be surprised if they missed the playoffs. But it's not – they're not so good that, oh, yeah, for sure, Calgary's a lock. Vancouver's ahead of us. Uh, they're bad. Um, I think that of those teams, really it's just Vegas that I think is an ironclad lock. I think if Koskinen bounces back to being the in the top of the bottom third, which is realistic, I think psychologically it's a bigger issue than talent-wise, but um, I think that if we just start getting – bad goaltending instead of extremely bad goaltending, I think we'll probably make the playoffs. I I think that we are the second or third best team on paper in this div, even with all our holes. And I think that, uh, I don't know. I think, I, I, I think there's a lot of evidence of that. I think once our penalty kill, I don't expect it's going to keep being historically bad, much like the Canucks didn't. We're just getting so much bad luck right now. The goaltending might stay bad. The rest of it's going to normalize. Goalten- goaltenders are going to keep being uh, Gump Worsley against us. So if we make the playoffs, let me put it this way. If a crystal ball shows up on your front door and you look into it, and with Ken Holland at the helm, the Oilers make the playoffs, does that mean to you that we should ride this out, Avery? If you had a way of knowing, would that change your mind? If they make it, they do it in spite of him. They're not doing it because of him. That's how I see it as. And granted, for your orders, their upcoming schedule, I'll say as much about their schedule coming up um, next few games. They do play after after um, Calgary. They do play Vancouver, Montreal, and Ottawa, teams that they should win against. I mean, those could be points right there. But then again, Washington, so have fun with that, on the road before the All-Star break. But, I mean, there are some chances for this team to turn things around. But when it comes to the rest of the division, Steve uh, – I agree. I do think Vegas is a lock. Vegas has proven time and time again, no matter how bad they start, no matter their struggles, 
they do find a way to get back into things, which I find hilarious because the old hockey minds hate Vegas doing well, which I love. But I think the one team that is all uh, a real team, I know they struggled as of late, though, is still Anaheim. Anaheim is still getting great forward play from guys like Zegras, uh, Trevor Troy Terry, Milano, Ryan Getzlaff. That's still a team I believe. I still do believe in Anaheim. You know they are three, three, six, and one right now. I, I think the Ducks are still a real team to believe in in that, in that division. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll flip that to to Megan. What do you What do you think of everything Avery just said? Um, well, I think the, I want to push back on something you said. Um, I think that yes, you're right. You if, the were, <laughs> um, if the Oilers were getting bad goaltending instead of extremely bad goaltending, that they would likely win more games. Yes, but they're still not scoring. Right. Like that's the other issue that's underlying all of this. The goaltending is not good, um, but there's it's not like they're losing game seven, six. Like they just got beat six, nothing. Um, it was not it was a great first period and it was a terrible second and third period. Like they just they just didn't have it. And I, I think that the goaltending definitely plays a part in some of that, but it's not just the goaltending. Uh, what Avery is saying, it's, uh, this very much sounds like the most recent episode of Puck Soup, which I listened to specifically to see what they had to say about like the Oilers media fight, whatever. Um, and they talked essentially about the same kind of stuff, talked about Ryan Getzlaff and, and um, Zegras and Troy Terry and like how Anaheim, despite, um, you know, the age of some of their players and whatnot, like, looks half decent at the very least um and that there is there's really no guarantee out of the pacific for making the playoffs other than vegas there that was sort of their like estimation and everything else is essentially a crapshoot and i think that's probably true yeah i mean i agree they they aren't scoring enough i just think that that could come back i was basically setting you guys up uh, I want to say I think there's a right reason why you should fire Holland anytime, because even though I think there's a very good chance they make the playoffs, and if they make the playoffs, I still think there's a decent chance they make it to the second round. I don't see them going any further than that. I think that just based on the process of how this last summer went, and that even if you want to give this team all the credit in the world, say the goaltending is going to come back to what it. You're the, some of the more ex, uh, optimistic expectations, the scoring, the shooting percentage is going to bounce back. The penalty kill is going to bounce back. If all those things happen, you still have an average team. And I think that things were so well set up for this to be an excellent team. And that's not the direction we chose to go. I think I'm going to, again, use the Vegas model. Um, I don't know who, the, <clears throat> well, uh, sorry. The Vegas model is if you have the chance to improve, you improve. You don't get too mired in. It's always a good time to get better, and I think we have a huge opportunity to get better at general manager right now. I, I'll be honest. I was blown away by Holland's response to um, Bo, uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman's question. Hey, what about the how the Oilers are getting scored 2-1 to one with uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl off the ice? Holland didn't seem to know that. Holland was completely caught off guard by that question. He said, uh, back to my time in Detroit, that's an actual quote. He, yep. I'm not making that up. He said, uh, for like five seconds and then started talking about his old Red Wing team. <laughs> he was massively caught off guard by what is the biggest problem with the team. I would say that's a bigger problem than the goaltending because McDavid and Drysaddle, they have that same goaltending behind them. It's 
this team can't do anything without those two guys on the ice. Still, he's been in charge for three years. And the team that he took over for had lots of good players. Like, he had lots of opportunities uh, to, to make the team better. And so far, everything he's tried already hasn't worked. Even if things bounce back, we're an average team. Why is that the goal? The goal is to be a, a competitor. There are better people right now who they won't need that luck bounce back. They like We might as well put them in the position to start making improvements right now. I don't know if you're going to be able to make big improvements. Everything we've talked about so far this show has been a good explanation of why, yeah, this season really might be too late. We might not be able to get a goalie at a reasonable price that doesn't totally screw us for the future. We might actually just have to uh, trade for someone crappy and hope that uh, that's better than the crap we've already got or whatever. I don't know how much can be done. But if you know Holland's not your guy, why wait? And frankly, I think we know Holland's not our guy. The summer of Ken was a massive wet fart. Nothing happened. It was uh, not good. The one thing I will say, though, is Duncan Keith, and this is an important point as lots of people like to throw it to Duncan Keith, Keith's been pretty good over this stretch, over the 3-16 and 16 stretch. Keith, by almost every basic fancy saying, you can get into the fancier ones and maybe complicate things, but at um, Corsi, at uh, Goals 4 Percentage, at uh, Fenwick, at um, the, the chant, nah, there's a fancier word, for, oh, Expected Goals Percentage, he's above 50% in pretty much all of those things. So let me ask you that, Megan. Does that mean that we're wrong to criticize the Duncan Keith trade as the cornerstone of Ken's summer? No, and here's why. Um, those stats over this last stretch, um, I don't like, they're not on a sliding scale necessarily, but I do think that team performance also informs those statistics. And so if the team is terrible, then it's a lot easier to be better than expected when everything else is bad, right? To be like, oh, that didn't turn out quite as bad as I thought it was going to turn out. That's, it's a lot easier to have um, that relation, that, that correlative relationship, I think, because if you're watching this team in this, like whatever, three and 16 or slump or whatever it is that they're in and you're like, oh yeah, this team, like we're expecting, um, we're expecting they're going to get beat by four goals tonight and they only get beat by two. They're still getting beat. But do you know what I mean? Like that's, I think the problem. I don't think, I think the problem with the Duncan Keith thing is the cost more than anything. If it was cheaper, if that was a, if that was a cheaper contract, people wouldn't have such a problem with it. That's I think where the, the issue lies because if it's a cheaper contract, then you can use some of that cap space. Like we've talked about before how cap space, they don't see it as an asset and they definitely should how you could use some of that cap space to help where you need the help, where because Duncan Keith costs so much, I think it's still a really bad trade. It doesn't matter um, how well he's performed over this stretch of 19 games. I think he's not just been better than terrible though, that he's been uh, decent. Like I'm looking at his PDO. It's almost exactly one. Um, So he's not, that just shows that he's not getting uh, lucky. Um, to get his results. Um, <clears throat> I should have been more professional and had them on command. I don't have my Keith stats here. I don't know. Avery, what do you th- Keith, are we wrong to say that Keith was the cornerstone of Holland's summer? No, you're not wrong. And I'll say as much that um, Keith, I'll, I'll say as much, um, Keith has not been a tire fire like many thought it was going to be because I, you know what, Keith's been, he's been, he's been decent. He has not been, I mean, there have been some games where, yes, Keith has not looked good but it hasn't been a complete disaster, which, you know, I personally thought it was going to be. 
he's been decent. He hasn't been, he hasn't been expected to play a, a 1D role too often. So it is what it is. He is pushing 40. So, you know, that was all right. But, you know, I, it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been a cornerstone deal. It should not have been. With the money that they had and the options out there, it should not have been a cornerstone deal when you could have made a million other moves that would have improved this team than a Duncan Keith trade in which you took back salary and Chicago retained nothing. There, I mean, there you go. That's where I was kind of driving this. Uh, Duncan <laughs> Keith, he's played this. I have these stats. This was before the Florida game. So over 26 games, he's been averaging a very respectable 20 minutes a night. He is at 52% Corsi, 51% uh, Fenwick. Um, he is almost exactly even on uh, just uh, shots for and shots against and uh, goals for and goal, goals against percentage. He's above 50 in every percentage. I think he's been – I think you'd have a hard time arguing that he's been bad and people who point out uh, videos of certain plays showing him making mistakes. I think at a certain point you have to say if you believe in the concept of statistics – and you believe in the concept that your eyes can get fooled, you have to admit that even though he has his weaknesses, he hasn't been bad. Duncan Keith is not driving this team down. However, he has not been worth $5 million or $5.5 million. Even not that the third and Caleb Jones is a huge payment. I actually think Caleb Jones is slightly overrated by some uh, factions of the, the Oilers audience. Um that was just such an incredible opportunity cost. Five million is so much money, especially this summer when there was so many moves being made. The fact that Duncan Keith has been okay is almost more damning than him having been a disaster because you can't even point to Keith and say, oh yeah, he's been way worse than expected. No, he's been like pretty good compared to expectations and the team is still where it is. Um, I, I think the Ethan Bear trade is was worse than the Duncan Keith trade. And Fogel's been all right. It's just... The right side is not good, and we have that expensive Barry contract. And Barry, the thing that many of us predicted would happen, happened. Barry's been supplanted by Evan Bouchard. Even as many mistakes as Bouchard can occasionally make, Barry's making more. He's kind of lost that spot. We would like to trade Tyson Barry now, please. But uh, we no longer have a cheap, valuable it all comes down to hockey per dollar. I don't think Ken Holland understands hockey per dollar. He shows us that time and time again. But uh, what did you want me to give him for free con- uh, comment? The fact that he was complaining that the salary cap handcuffed him on getting a goalie days after signing Mike Smith to a two-year deal. He just doesn't understand the cap. I think he probably understands some things about hockey, but he does not understand the cap. I think the sooner you move away from that, the better. I don't see a point delaying. Let me ask you this, Megan. Is this going to affect Ken Holland's legacy, or will it just be the bad end to an otherwise glorious career? I don't – well, I don't know. That's that's a question, I guess. Thank you. I guess it depends um, – I guess it depends if he is here for the duration of his contract or not. Um, if he gets fired, then, yes, it affects his legacy. Uh, if he gets fired before the contract – his contract is up, because I think he signed, like, a five-year deal – um, I think that it does affect his legacy. Uh, otherwise, I do think it's just kind of a fine, like a point on the end of, of a career. Because like, you know, there's lots of criticism about his time in Detroit, how he got gifted all of these things. And sure, he did. But like, they still won. Like, they were still successful and whatever. And he's the guy whose name is on that as a general manager. So that does, says something, I suppose. Um, 
I just, I don't know. Like there's something about having two of the best players in the league uh, and just wasting their primes ultimately. Uh, that just feels pretty ugly somehow. Huh. Avery, what uh, was Ken Holland really a genius in Detroit? Ooh, was he really a genius in Detroit? Hmm. I would say he he drafted well, but how much you want to put that on, on his scouting staff in Europe? How much that, how much goes to the scouting staff? How much goes into Ken Holland? Because his European scouts did a lot of work for him finding these guys that no one else did. So how much you want to give credit to Holland on that aspect? But also towards the end of his tenure in Detroit, he didn't know when to leave. He didn't know when to go into a rebuild. And a real genius in that sense would know when it's time to tear it down. That franchise in Detroit towards the end wanted so bad to still make the playoffs and preserve that streak. They were fine getting into the first round and getting their heads kicked in by um, Boston every single year. So a real genius, a real hockey mind knows when, you know, tear it down, walk away. And he didn't from 2010 to 2015. The big defense uh, has always been that he had an old owner who did not want to go through a rebuild, that his owner was saying, no, do everything you can to keep winning. Um, I think the Detroit organization was great in the 90s. They were one of the, I think they were the first organization to get over a bias against Europeans and Russians, that they very smartly went all in on just on talent. They were probably the first good organization anyway to say we don't need uh, fighters. We're just going to put good players on the ice. Um, they, they did some really tactically advanced things. I think that organization did a lot and Ken Holland, even when he wasn't in charge of it, he was still part of that organization. I think he must be good at some things. They were one of the first organizations to really align their farm team with their, uh, with their big clubs so that people could try to make the jump better. I think they did some smart things, uh, with development but then there came a point where those things seemed to stop happening. As great as their drafting was um, up to a point, it really dried up uh, over the last 10 years. And Holland has never made good trades. You can look at his uh, Weibo did a thread, which got a lot of attention very rightfully. He's really never won trades. He's never really made a lot of smart signings. His big thing is just convincing vets to come play with him which sometimes works when he's able to afford to overpay the primetime bets and tends to not work when he's just being the only guy who's pitching guys in their late 30s, which seems to be what's happening with the Oilers right now is they put so much on Duncan Keith. And you know, if Keith retires, we get a $3 million uh, cap bonus. Like, we actually get extra space. Would that trade change the deal at all for you, Megan? Would you might say that mitigates it in any meaningful way? I mean, a little bit, yeah. Getting cap relief in any respect, I think, is nice, but... Um... <clears throat> I shouldn't be wishing for someone to end their career in order for there to be usable cap space. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, whereas, I mean, I guess that's, yeah, that's the, that, that sounds insane. It's one thing if it's a UFA who's like 39 years old and he's like, yeah, this is my last season. I'm done. That's a different thing. But like Keith has another year on this deal. Um, and so I shouldn't be hoping that he's going to retire in order for the Oilers to have another $3 million in cap space that they wouldn't have if he didn't retire. Um, that sounds, that's a, that's a weird thing to hope for. Well, hypothetically, here's the hypothetical scenario. You could say that Keith phoned Holland and said, I'm going to retire after this season because his actual money that he's getting paid drops to very little. It's going to cost him very little to retire. Um, he's, 
yeah, he says, I'm going to retire. So if you trade for me, know that you're getting a season of me and then $3 million bonus the next year. Uh, to me, I don't feel free to disagree. I was more open to that in the summer, but um, it's still just such a huge opportunity cost. I think they'll make the trade less bad. But again, I keep coming back to the real problem this summer was the Ethan Bear trade. You had a guy who was just worth more than he was getting paid. Regardless of what you think of Ethan Bear, you need to uh, embrace that you need value contracts in the NHL. And there we had one and we traded it away for a guy in Warren Fogle who at his best is worth what he's getting paid. Um, hey, you want to know a weird little stat that uh, I found? Uh, Zach Cassian, who I think a lot of us, uh, certainly me, think is one of Holland's biggest mistakes was signing and then never trading Zach Cassian, even when he had value. Um, he's actually fourth in Oilers forwards in uh, points per 60. He's scoring at a good rate for like for his career anyway. You could not possibly have expected more from Zach Cassian. How have you felt about Cassian this uh, this year, Avery? Uh, it's, been, it's been okay, I guess. That's the best I can say. It hasn't been it has been, been average season for him. It's not not great, not horrible. That's all I can say about him. But I still – I'll never forget the, the whole Cassian thing needs the fans to perform well. Like that to me was just such an odd thing that, you know, you need – Fans to play well. I, I'll give Krasin credit though. When he, he scored on the power play before, he's chipped in here and there with a few goals. But again, Zach Cassian is a player which he's just average to me. He's not anything spectacular in your lineup. He can give you a goal here and there, but he's not going to wow me on, on an every night basis. He, he's been scoring decently, but he doesn't do anything else, including the stuff he's actually been paid for. He's not been a thorn in anybody's side. I haven't noticed him hit many people. I continue to think now's a great time to trade him because he's scoring so well. He's not scoring any better than Warren Fogel, and Fogel makes less money. So, um, it, The real shocker is how badly Ryan Nugent Hopkins is scoring. He's on pace for a career year for points, despite having a career worst year uh, at the even strength. You know the last guy who played for the Oilers who had numbers like that, who was scoring very well almost exclusively because of the power play? Milan Lucic. So, <laughs> I don't know, Megan, we'd be worried about Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Well... <sighs> No, here's the thing. I've never been the biggest fan of Nuge. Like, I, I get, I know why people like him and I get the attachment and whatever to him, but like, I don't know. He's never really wowed me um, in any capacity. Uh, I think they drafted wrong when they drafted him, and I've held that thought like forever. Um, oh, yeah. But oh, I would have absolutely drafted Gabriel Landeskog and figured out how to make that work. Uh, they absolutely screwed that one up. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's pass, let's pass. Um, do we need to be worried about uh, Nuge? No, the thing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins is he's going to, he is this generation's Ryan Smith. He's going to get traded uh, probably when he's about 34, um, right at the deadline or whenever his next, whenever his contract is expiring, he's going to get traded then. And he's going to come back for like two years and they're not going to make the playoffs. Like that's what's going to happen with him. He's not going to have any success anywhere else either. He'll just come back and retire as an Oiler and, and that'll be the end of that. And his career will have been fine very serviceable but like yeah he'll he'll be here and then he won't be and then he'll be back uh yeah i don't think any of that is uh wrong i'm perfectly content with the draft pick if you look i got the top 10 from 2011 in front of me right now you had guys like nugent hopkins landis skog huberto larson brian stroms benajad shifley couturier dougie hamilton and Jonas brodeen that's your top 10 um all those guys are good. Some of them are better than Nuge. But uh, I think the important thing to remember with especially high draft picks is just don't miss 
they got a good NHLer out of it, so I'm fine. But I would also agree that Nuge never quite became an all-star. He sort of peaked at second-line center or good left winger. I'm very disturbed by his inability to get anything done at even strength, especially considering who he's been a winger for um, this season. Yet I continue to be encouraged by his infamous power play witchcraft. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Avery, you've already made your uh, feelings on Pat or Pat uh, Evander Kane clear. Megan, it sounds like we are going to get Kane, and that probably will be a big help. Uh, how's that going to affect you as a fan, as a newly reengaged and switched on fan? Oh, I'm only switched on because there's nothing else to do. Um, it doesn't move the needle for me at all. Um, they shouldn't. We shouldn't acquire him. Uh, he's a garbage human being. I feel like. I feel like. Evander Kane is the actual definition. He is the picture beside the definition of cancer in the room. Um, mm. And I feel like we shouldn't be adding that. The However, thing that makes... oh, go ahead. I think you've said it best. I think he will, on ice, if he does the things that he's good at, he will absolutely undoubtedly help the team. But then you have to make a decision about if you are Ken Holland and you are talking about adding guys with character and leadership and stuff, I do not think Vander Kane is that person. This is one of my pet peeves of hockey fans. It is very common for people on Twitter and the like to say, I thought you cared about character and leadership. How can you hire Duncan Keith? How can you get uh, Pat Kane? Um, Duncan Keith allowed things. Kane did stuff um, or was accused of doing things. I think that's a, a fatuous argument. We all know what they're talking about when they say character and leadership. They don't mean in life. They mean in hockey. They just mean Keith had a career where he tried his ass off and encouraged other players to try their asses off. And when there was stuff about him like taunting Bacchus after he got knocked out, that's not bad character in their mind because they mean the kind of character that helps you win hockey. They mean the kind of leadership that helps you win hockey games. That is the only sense in which they mean it. So those challenges don't really land on the terms that they're being discussed in. Evander Kane is an interesting um, example of a guy who seems to lack character in both ways. He has done some things morally that people disapprove of. He's also been kicked out of three different NHL dressing rooms, three different teams where we, the hockey people around you all hate you and want you to leave. Um, and uh yeah, I don't know. I think he might work short term, but I'm a little bit surprised that they are overlooking some of the the hockey man character issues that he's had in the past. Um, but they they're desperate and they can get him for cheap. Uh, finally, we should probably discuss Leon Drysaddle's spat with Jim Matheson a little bit. I don't know. Avery, you're a media man. What'd you make of that? Uh, well, that <laughs> one of the few days I've not been able to be at it with presser in season. That you blew was it. awkward. It was very odd, and my thing is that you know Jim has been around. Jim has been around the game for a very long time, longer than I've been on this earth as a human being. He knew what he was doing. He's trying to get Dry to throw somebody under the bus, and Dry didn't take the bait. Dry didn't do it. He Dry smarter than that. And as a reporter, I, I I could never ever imagine asking a player, "Why are you so pissy?" Because first of all. If I did that, Oilers PR would long dart me through the Hall of Fame wind room glass <laughs> and hunt into me traffic on Jasper Avenue. I would be on site. Like I would be assault. I would be through all the room. Head like for Uncle Phil talking out DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> exactly. There is no <laughs> way I would not be airborne 
after asking a player, why are you so pissy? Like, it was immature. It was ridiculous. And what's the old saying? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Dry's response was appropriate for that dumb question. Like, what? it didn't help anybody else in that sense. It was just so unprofessional. And the fact that people are getting mad, like, people are defending Jim for I understand. He's a, to many people, they worked with Jim for decades and decades and decades. I get it. But at the same time, how he handled that was so dang unprofessional. And I'm firmly in the corner of drawing that one. Firmly. Interesting. I thought he was kind of pissy, quite frankly. <laughs> it didn't take him uh, it didn't take him very long to uh, go to like one word answers. I don't know, Megan. I got the impression, like, I don't know if anyone saw Jim's Twitter before it happened. He tweeted right before it happened, this team needs to be angrier. It's frustrating that they are not angrier. I think he, uh, I've never met Jim. Maybe this is wildly off base. I think he thought the team needed to be angrier, so he went out and then tried to provoke somebody into getting angry. Um, How did you read it, Megan? That was like a league-wide story. That was a worldwide story. There was European teams commenting on it. So... I I only saw I saw the discourse while I was at work, so I couldn't like watch the video because my kids in my classroom and you know whatever. Um, and then I watched the clip that had gone viral, and then I went and I can't remember who it was wrote an article and they took the transcript of the whole exchange between Matheson and Drysaddle, and it also included the two instances of that same question that he asked him before. So by the time we get to that little video clip, that's the third time Jim's basically asked the same question, and like. There comes a point, I think, where you are. Maybe, yeah, maybe was Jim was trying to provoke. I don't know. Whatever. That that's almost irrelevant. But there comes a point where, like, if you ask a person the same question over and over and over again, and you don't like the answer that they're giving, eventually they're going to get annoyed with you because they're answering the question the way they want to answer the question, and it's not good enough for you, so you keep asking it. And I think that's kind of what happened there. The thing that I found the most interesting about it was how quick people in like mainstream hockey media from all over the continent were to jump to Jim's defense. Like, I don't know if he has secrets about them. I don't know if like he's blackmailing all of their families, but like you would think (laughs) that Jim Matheson was the absolute paragon of impartial, unbiased, hockey reporter uh, based on how all of those cam cole and i'm sure jack todd had something to say it's the name but like cam cole especially like and they were just jumping to jim's defense and i'm like man he's a professional reporter he has to know that at some point in time the questions that he asks are gonna gonna get answers that he doesn't want and like he's an adult and he can handle himself and doesn't need you jump into his defense See, that's actually why I think that he did it on purpose. Jim's not a moron. Like, whatever you want to say, you might not like him or even think he's a great hockey mind, but he's not a total moron. He knew why are you so pissy was not going to go over well. He even knew the the tone and timber he was taking with those uh, questions. He knew that he was being kind of aggressive. Um, I thought it actually started up like, quasi-reasonable. It wasn't a great question, but it, there was clearly a history between those two guys as well. It didn't take the question that got Leo to drop into, I don't know, sure, before the, the pissy comment, was not like a brilliant and incisive question, but it was just, I think, what's the number one thing you guys need to do better? Um, and Leon just shrugged and said everything. That wasn't a great answer to 
it wasn't a terrible question. Like question one wasn't offensive. I think Jim went in there very upset and um, he knew what he was doing when he fired that shot. And uh, I don't know. Here, here we are. It was kind of a tempest. But alternatively, Leon, this is my take on how what Leon had to say there. I think that Dreisaitl saying we got to do everything better is a perfectly fine answer for the situation that the team finds itself in. He was he. It was flippant, and the tone, it was the tone that maybe could have used a little bit of work. But the answer itself is not a bad answer because like goaltending needs to be better, defense needs to be better. They need to score. Like he's not wrong. It's just that whole exchange. If Jim's coming in hot and Leon's just like God, we got to do everything better. There's no way that's going to end well. You're an English teacher. If a kid hands in a paper and you give it a D and you say, what do you think should have been better about this essay? And he said, I don't know, everything. What have you been like? Ah, good answer, Timothy. Well done. We're Absolutely. Have you not met me? I am very good at passive aggression. And I would have said, you know what? You're correct. Everything could have been better. Let's talk about it. And exactly. eventually I win because I control their marks. The difference here, this is the difference. Jim Matheson has nothing to do with how Drysaddle does his job and vice versa, right? Like they can both do their jobs independently of one another and how Drysaddle performs on the ice or whatever has nothing to do with how Matheson does his job and vice versa, right? Like they don't influence each other in that particular way. But I do think that the question that Jim asked that led to the everything answer, the answer itself is not bad, but I think Jim wanted a little bit more engagement and he didn't get it. And then he was like, well, why are you so pissy? And that was, that is where it crossed the line for me. Uh, Avery, what's the most hostile answer you've ever gotten? You're a real reporter. The most, How would you have most, handled that? The most, well, I'll, I'll start with, I'll start with the most hostile answer I forgot. Um, I'll, it was a tie, but I would say I have two. Uh, one was when Corey Clouston was coaching in junior, I believe with the Brandon Wheat Kings. He was very mad that I was still working at, I was still at Nate. I was still doing stuff with Nate in their Nate TV program for our, our, our college TV show. We got there late for a presser because my camera guy fell down the steps of old Rexall place. I was helping him, you know, get his gear back up again in the bag. Clusen finished up his media availability. We came running to him and said, hey, coach, sorry, we're late. We had this, da, da, da. And then Clusen starts yelling at me, saying, why weren't you here sooner? I, want you, we should have, I don't like doing more more than one media avail. So I'm a 19-year-old kid. My initial instinct is to yell back at him and tell him, who the hell do you think you are? So I told him, call me coach. This happened here. I wasn't explaining that to him. He calmed down to his credit. He stopped being a giant, well, a giant A, whatever, you know. <laughs> and it went over well. time, it was tense, was um, a presser with the Marlies when Sheldon Keefe was still coaching AHL. When Sheldon Keefe was in a good mood, he was a great quote. When his team played like garbage, he would tear your head off. And the Marlies had lost the game to, I believe it was Manitoba Moose, like eight or eight, I think, or nine one. And I'd ask Keith, what I uh, asked Keith, how do you balance? What do you take from this game as learning experience for a game against Lay uh, against Lay Valley? He turned to me, and he just said, straight face, deadpan, angry. We take nothing from this game, nothing. We don't move on quite yet. It's like, okay, point taken, coach. <laughs> but then uh, in terms of how I would have handled um, dry sidle, I would have just said, listen, I, I said, you know what? All right, it is what it is. If he said to me, you know what? You know everything? I'd say, all right, cool, whatever. Because 
it is not worth it for me to get into a back and forth with a player because in that situation, I'm the instigator. I am the instigator towards a player. And the only ones who will have my back are my media colleagues. I will not look good in the eyes of a player or anybody else who is not media. To the average fan, the person who's in the wrong is Jim, not Dreisaitl. Yeah, I think that uh, the people who are strongly, passionately defending uh, Matheson, they're not defending Matheson. They're defending the media. Mm-hmm. Like their media, yes. when they defend him, they defend themselves. I think there are people who have said that basically that they both seemed a little pissy. I think that's pretty fair. I think Jim went looking for a fight. And I think that Dreisaitl already did not like Jim and um, didn't give him much when he asked the legit questions. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think either of them comes off great. I actually, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I didn't think it was a huge deal. Like pissy's not that bad of a word. It's just like two guys who, like you said, don't work together, have no vested interest in uh, one another's success, had a terse encounter. Meh. That seems like the kind of thing that'll happen in life occasionally. Um, yeah, let's go around the league real quick. Um, we were just we got uh, beat by Florida really bad. Despite that was an amazing game because it was arguably the Oilers' best game of the season, and they got the crap kicked out of them by the Florida Panthers. Uh, who do you like coming out of the East, Avery? We got uh, Tampa, despite having lost their entire third line, which was an ex- actually parts of their you could argue was their second line. Uh, they lost an entire line of excellent players. They're leading the league right now. Um, Florida, the Bobrovsky was good to start the season, bad for a stretch, and now he's good again. He's at uh, 925. Florida's looking amazing. Toronto appears to be putting it together. Uh, Boston just got Rask um, back, and they're probably going to trade for a second-line center. Uh, Pittsburgh's got Malkin back. The, the East is its hot. Who do you like? Avery, I'll specify. <laughs> Sorry. Who do I like? You know, I am really in on the Florida Panthers. This is a team that, you know, yes, Bobrovsky did struggle earlier in the season, and now he's back at it again, playing really well. But the Florida Panthers, they're a team, I mentioned to you guys off air, this is a team that has scored five or more goals 15 times this season. They have multiple games of scoring seven or more goals. They've scored nine <laughs> goals twice, and they're getting and they're production. Not just from the typical names like the Barkovs and Huberdos, but Carter Verhage and Anthony Duclair have been key cogs into Florida's success. This is a team that I think is really scary in Eastern Conference. I think could end up in a cup final. I agree. I'm looking at uh, the team right now. Yeah, that's that's a good team. I just feel bad for them because I also think that Carolina is really great and Tampa is really great. So, I don't know. Megan, I said before the season started that the Rangers were the best setup team in hockey and their GM blew it. And now they are going to make the playoffs. They're looking pretty good. Was I an idiot? No, I don't know. Why would you want me to? I don't know how you want me to answer that question. Um, I don't know. I I was looking at the Rangers and wondering about the Rangers. And then I threw to you. You want to talk about another team? You want to talk about Boston? How's uh, how, How are your Bruins doing? Uh, we can talk about Boston. That's fine. Uh, they're fine. I don't know. They're they're they're. It's inter- actually. I've watched a lot of Bruins games. Apparently, after Christmas, I did not know this. Apparently, after Christmas, uh, NHL Center Ice was available to me for like two weeks or three weeks or whatever on a trial. And so, like, I came home one night 
and turned on the television because, yes, I still pay for cable, whatever. And I was like, oh, it recorded three Bruins games? Great. So I got to watch the Bruins. It was lovely. Um, they're fun. They're fun to watch. Uh, it took a little bit of time for David Pasternak to, like, do his thing. But all of a sudden, he has, like, reawoken. And uh, yeah. things generally seem to be going well. I don't really know. Uh, they did. They were definitely kind of slumping at the beginning of the season. And they've picked things up. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. Um, they are, I, yeah. They they really, I think, miss uh, David Krejci. I think that both Hall and um, Craig Smith are well, Craig Smith especially, but uh, they're just not doing quite as well as they were doing last year. But if they can get that second line piece, maybe a Myra or a Hurdle out of a uh, San Jose, I don't know. There, um, there's not a team that they're the East is the exact opposite of the West. They've got eight good teams, and we they're all going to make the playoffs. Like there's not going to be any movement. Uh, the West has a ton of teams, and some of them are bound to make the playoffs. But uh, I think there's really only two good teams and um, a couple other okay ones. And then there's going to be some some weird luck in the West. Uh, I don't know. Who do you like? Uh, who you, other than the two obvious ones, which I'm saying is Colorado and Vegas, is there anyone that you think is a genuine threat in the West, Megan? Um. So I'm being, unfortunately, again, informed by my recent listen of Puck Soup, and they talked a lot about kind of this very same thing that like, and I think they went through, they did a, a feature where they called, uh, that they talked about buy, sell, or stand, or stand or whatever, and just like which team should buy, which team should sell, and who who has to stand pat because of cap space or whatever. And uh, the thing that sticks in my mind about it is they went by points percentage because obviously we've got some big difference in games played and whatnot. And they were talking about the Minnesota Wild uh, that by points percentage, they're like, quite fine. Um, but there's no possible way that they're as good as their points percentage sort of indicates right now. Uh, and it just kind of made me laugh. Like, how are they, what are they going to do in seven games in the playoffs? And I think the question for a lot of teams out of the West is, do they have what it takes to compete against the Golden Knights or the Avalanche in a seven game series. And I think generally speaking, the answer is no. So I think we're looking at that as the conference final. I, and I don't know who else is going to come out of the West. Fair enough. I got one last hockey question for you guys. If we've all more or less said that either we would be somewhere between fine and enthusiastic about Ken Holland getting fired this week, which is not going to happen, but let's say it did. Uh, I have, you can answer only one or both questions. Who would you like to see hired? And I think that's a tricky one because realistically, what are we supposed to know about the best assistant GMs in the league? Um, other than obviously Megan Fowler would be choice number one for GM. But uh, uh, who would you like to see hired if we replace Holland? And who do you think is the most underrated GM in the league? It's obvious that Julian Brisewell is a good GM. It's obvious that Steve Eiserman is a good GM. Who do you think is the most underrated uh, GM? Avery, we'll start with you. Who do you want to see hired, and who's your your pick for most underrated? Okay, well, first off, I'll start off with <clears throat> who I would have loved to have seen, and I will I will say uh, beforehand, massive bias. I don't care because I worked with her at, at the Hockey News. It was Rachel Dory. I would have loved to have seen Rachel come to Edmonton. She's down in Vancouver. I hope she wins. I hope she wins the cup with the Canucks. I hope they hope they win a uh, cup with her now in the island in a department of analytics, but someone who uh, they could have hired, I really feel it should be Eric Tulski. I would love to see Eric Tulski replace Ken Holland. He is a mastermind as the AGM with Carolina. 
he's someone who has helped that team turn things around. And I know he's not, you know, he's not a good old hockey man. He's an American. But I think he's someone who, if you bring him in, you'll see a turnaround happen quite quickly with Edmonton. Um, okay, good good picks. I will say that I followed Rachel Tory for a while, and I think she clearly knows her stuff hockey-wise. Uh, she, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to push back on this totally baselessly. We've obviously never met. I don't know her. She's made a few non-hockey statements. I'm like, that's dumb. How could you possibly think that? So, boom. Because she, I don't even remember what it was. I disagreed with her on some petty thing. So, no, she doesn't get to be GM. But I'm I am for- going to push back on you on that one because you just said that the character leadership issues that fans like to question are the off ice things, whereas this the character leadership questions. She's a fine person. I'm not saying she's not a fine person, and I had to question her critical thinking because she dared. I'm not questioning her character, but wow. what I'm saying is it's the same energy. Yeah. You cannot say that she's made some questionable statements on Twitter, therefore she'd be a bad GM, and not mm-hmm. also agree that that character leadership. From a general manager's perspective and a fan's it's perspective, same thing. it's not the same yes, thing. It is it's the not same, the same thing. thing. No, I'm not saying she made morally questionable decisions. I'm saying it made me question her critical thinking skills. That is the skill. That's more like if I was watching a a guy play street hockey and I was like, man, that dude can't stick handle. Maybe I don't want him on my team. That's more what it's like. Maybe mm-hmm. shaking his head. Temp, defending his friend Rachel more hockey insiderism. Wow, um, Steve, we talk every, Rachel. I talk every single day, so I'll tell you said that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm very confident that she will express contempt and be dismissive of me. Which, uh, yeah, for the purposes of this conversation, I take great umbrage at, and in reality, I am fine with. But yeah, for yeah, t- tell her I'm revved up and I would like to, um. <laughs> Debate her in a public forum or pistols at dawn. I don't know. Whatever she's into. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very I, happy for her I, that she got hired by the Canucks. That's can cool. I answer the GM question? I don't know who a good replacement would be, but I think the most underrated GM in the NHL right now is probably uh, Bill Zito. Um, Bill Zito is kind of in that Louis Erickson uh, spot where people talk about how underrated he is so much. He uh, almost doesn't qualify anymore, but yeah, go make, make the case for Bill Zito. The so, guy I, who, no, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think people talked enough about him until like this year when all of a sudden the Panthers are just like, you know, as good as they are. And, but I, I think that um, he's done some, he's done, made some smart moves uh, and also has sort of figured out, I think how to manage a salary cap reasonably well. Um, and if you look at some of the player personnel decisions that he's made, it's hard not to imagine that had he been hired here instead of Ken Holland being hired here, things would be different. Would they necessarily be as good as what's happened in Florida? No, but I think I think it's hard to say that they would be worse. I think they, that he would have done a better job with what he had been given. Oh yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I passionately agree with that. I think Tulski's a great call. Also, by the way, I'm gonna say Chris McFarlane, who's the assistant GM of the Avalanche, mostly because people forget that Joe Sackick used to be a league-wide joke. People, like Twitter, used to be like every day a good GM should just phone Joe Sackick and let him make a mistake at you. Um, and then they hired this guy to be assistant GM. Uh, their stats guy, their non-hockey guy, their own little Tulski. Um, Chris McFarland. And ever since he came on, all of a sudden, uh, the Avalanche suddenly became the best run franchise in hockey, or at least arguably. 
Um, and I just love what I think the Avalanche are by far the funnest team to watch. I love the way their defensemen um, attack and play and support each other. Uh, I'm just a huge fan of what the Avalanche do, so I'm going to pick him. But realistically, I don't know. Maybe like I would have to do a bunch of uh, interviews. I think Tulski would also be um, a great call. Um, I think Zito is an excellent GM. For most underrated GM, I was tempted to say Ron Hextall, who I don't think is a genius, but I really I thought he did a good job of um, getting rid of a lot of bad contracts in Philly and was clearly dealing with a lot of hostility from uh, the old, some of the guys who I would have thought would have been his friends um, running the show there. It was clear that Bobby Clark uh, didn't like him and you know he was just getting a lot of pushback and these things seemed to be going quite well for him in Pittsburgh. I'm going to go uh, in a totally different direction. I'm going to say I'll give you two underrated GMs, and that is, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, what's his name in Nashville and uh, Doug Wilson in San Jose. Who's David Poyle? Neither of those guys have ever won cups, and they kind of get tagged as, oh, man, they've between them I think they've been – they've got 60 years of general management experience or at least 50 uh, with zero Stanley Cups. However, their teams have been good – for the vast majority of their uh, reigns. Both of those teams have dipped off recently. I think San Jose got genuinely unlucky with uh, Vlasic hitting a wall right after he signed a very expensive extension, which at the time looked fine. Neither of them are perfect GMs, but I think it is harder to be good and a cup contender for a really long time than it is to just get a flash. Like um, Jay Feaster has won a Stanley Cup. And now he's no longer a GM because he's not considered that great anymore. Um, I think that what uh, those two guys did, which is create teams with a lot of sustain, is harder. And even though it's not working out right now for San Jose, I still think that if you look at Wilson's tenure, um, that if you look at David Poyle's tenure, they're just excellent GMs who make more good decisions than bad. I think they're both, for example, better GMs than Jim Rutherford, who's won three Stanley Cups. But uh, hockey is a really luck-driven game, so they don't get enough credit for being good for a really long time. Uh, now we move on to the part of the show which people actually listen for. Um, you should well, probably fast-forward to this. It's time for Inappropriately Personal Questions with Stephen Avery and Megan. This week, your question master is me, Stephen. And our first question, um, this might actually take you a second to think of. Maybe I should have warned you. This was inspired by a conversation Avery and I had last night. Avery, you get the question first. Who is the most problematic historical figure that you greatly admire? You're not allowed to I'm sorry, You have to admit he's problematic, but also admit he or she means a great deal to you and you look up to them in spite of the problems. That I look up to. Oh, wow. That is... If you want. I'll give you, I'll, uh, this is a weird question, so I'll give you some cover. I'll you can ignore me. I'll just uh, I'll vamp to the audience, explain why I'm asking this. Um, Winston Churchill got quoted by a member of the uh, the Edmonton media yesterday, and Avery basically said that's a suck ass move to quote Winston Churchill, who is totally definitely was a, a racist and did a bunch of endorsed a lot of terrible things, even to other white people. See, everyone in Scotland really hates that guy, but. Um, then Avery doubled down and said, it's like people still quoting Gandhi, shaking my damn head. And if you guys don't know, Gandhi said a bunch of really racist and terrible things and also had some other, there's weird things about Gandhi's life we don't need to get into. However, I think 
that while Gandhi did a bunch of and said a bunch of bad things, he also said and did a bunch of good things. So I understand how a person might still quote Gandhi and still love Gandhi. And so I'm going to try to flip the position and say, all right, Avery, who's your Gandhi? Who's a problematic figure that you're like, I, I just, I got to love him or her anyway. Okay, I'll say this one. This is a, this is a name that gets turned into a joke among Megan and Alex myself very often, but I will say, I'll say JFK. Because JFK was actually a pretty cool president. But there's so many things about JFK that are so problematic in his personal life. Like, Avery endorses. The man was a serial cheater. The man that didn't the third. The, a lot of things in JFK's personal life were like, yeah. As, the, um, as much as he, he did with one for presidents to work towards civil rights for black people, there are a lot of things JFK did that if he were alive today, or if he were a president today, he would have been impeached his first week in office. <laughs> yep. uh, let's see. Let's go down the list. He was a sex pest. He may or may not have rigged the election. His father had ties to uh, organized crime and, yeah. like, obvious, debatably insider trading and bootlegging. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made his brother uh, attorney general. Um, even sex pest might be going a little bit light on him there. Uh, <laughs> he invaded a lot of countries. He invaded Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you like so much uh, about him? The civil rights thing, mostly. Because I agree. Yeah, that's yeah. One of he was one of the first friends to really speak openly about that and work towards it. Because uh, other friends before hadn't really made a great push. He was one of the first ones who made it open and probably push uh, to change things for Black Americans. Great point. Um, yeah, I agree. He also did do a bunch of uh, nice things. Uh, Megan, who do you got? Um. So I'm going to stick on the American president chain. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Oh. Um, so, so one of the things about Lincoln that I think we all know, obviously, is when he was president, um, he wrote and signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which like sort of put a de facto end to the practice of uh, chattel slavery in the United States. Uh, but we, most people don't know, and like rightfully so, this is a weird little thing I think to know. Uh, he was not really uh, in favor of like racial equality in any way. He just sort of had a fundamental like moral opposition to people owning other people. He didn't actually consider though that like once the slaves were freed, they should have equal status in American society. That had nothing to do with it. He just didn't believe that humans should own other people. Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, and so like lots he did lots of good things, and I think that he's sort of celebrated for the right sort of things. But yeah, I think. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was um, slightly problematic. I like uh, both those picks, as I do think they, uh, especially uh, Lincoln, is under sometimes appreciated for just how not progressive he was in some ways. But I still absolutely think he, uh, yeah, the good the things he brought to the table are more important. The things that he, that he took off, both both great picks. I'm going to go with uh, this. Isn't just going to be one person. I'm going to do a whole swath. The suffragettes, the suffragettes, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Eugenics was extremely popular with the early suffragettes. That was a big movement that a lot of them were tied to. um, And the reason was they were big into improving society. They were also uh, big onto what at the time was the war on drugs. Um, A lot of uh, those people really supported uh, alcohol abolition. Um, But eugenics is really what they get uh, tagged for. And what people say, oh, you shouldn't support Emily Murphy. Do you read what she said about this and that? And that's totally fair to criticize them for. I will defend them on two basic levels. The one is 
I genuinely think that the good you do is more important than the bad things you also believed, which weren't the focus of your life anyway. Um, I'm in general willing to forgive people if they bring a lot to the table. Uh, and the that humans in general are flawed. I don't think any historical figure that you admire is not problematic if you dig into them. Um, and the other thing is a lot of their their thoughts on eugenics made sense given their current understanding of science that we only went on to reject that because we learned that they were wrong, that that's the things they thought would work, wouldn't work. If you believed what they knew at the time, you thought, oh yeah, these are policies which will, in some cases they were just racist, but in other cases, when it comes more to like people with physical ailments, this is how we get rid of those physical ailments. This will decrease suffering. This will increase human flourishing. So, well, a lot of that stuff went on to get disproven at the time, they didn't yet know it was wrong. So um, not morally wrong, like scientifically wrong. Um, and I think that that deserves them to, uh, that should cut them a bunch of slack. Uh, second question, Avery. Actually, no, we'll go to Megan this time. Megan, what's the worst thing you've ever been caught doing? You know what's uh, funny? What I ask, well, you folks at home, this is not a video podcast. Avery instantly smiled and kind of reacted to that and started thinking. Megan's face just froze. Like, I thought her computer stopped working. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I... stared forward as the... <sighs> he searched through what no doubt is a long laundry list of uh, sins and misdeeds. No, like... The... No. Because, like, here's the thing. This shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, anyone who knows me like moderately well um, like I've never cheated on a test or like because I I was afraid of my parents so like I didn't not in a bad way but like my parents would have absolutely ended my life had I done anything like real bad so um, I don't know I think probably the worst thing I like this is legit I didn't I've never done anything like terribly bad but the worst thing I that like I got caught and got in trouble for when I first started driving my mom and I shared a car and uh I got a photo radar ticket one night when I was yep. supposed to have been not driving at that time and I'm not going to go into any details but I got in a lot of shit because I got this photo radar ticket when I had told my parents that I was definitely somewhere else with oh, somebody else but like that's honestly the worst thing i've ever done or been caught doing i suppose uh oh wow so you've been caught doing the worst thing you've ever done pretty much yeah that's probably why you're such a otherwise good person as you learn right away that crime does not pay avery what uh what's the worst thing you've ever been caught doing uh i would say yeah no, i wasn't i wasn't the bad kid i wasn't the kid who was doing anything too egregious I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. I would say it was probably between uh, being with friends, missing curfew when I was 17. I got a lot of crap for that, for missing my uh, 1 a.m. curfew at home. But I would say in school, um, like I, I, I was called fighting. There's one no, thing when you are, when you're the smallest kid in the school among boys, you get into a lot of fights. People, people try to mess with you for whatever reason. So, you know, I'd let people know these hands were eat for everybody. When I was in grade twelve, so it happened a few times where yeah, I did get into <laughs> I did get into fights when I was a kid growing up. I, I there was one time a kid a kid tried to take my lunch, uh, uh, my poutine for lunch. I told him what are you doing. So the kid grabbed my the, the kid grabbed my tray, started eating it. 
I pulled the tray from under the food and I smashed me in the head with the tray twice in front of the principal. That is awesome. Because one time someone cut in front of the line at me and I was like, hey man, and he outmoved me in the stomach and I like went and I let him cut. And my whole life I've always felt, Stephen, you should have hit him in the head with your tray. True story. I uh, I've always felt like a loser for that particular interaction. So way to go, Avery. That rules. I think that's the best thing you've ever been caught doing. You know, way there's no saying there's old saying that sometimes violence isn't the answer, but sometimes violence is the answer. Sometimes it is. It's at least a answer. I mean, would have it been better if you had befriended him Abraham Lincoln style and defeated your enemy by turning him into your friend? Perhaps. But sometimes you defeat your enemy by hitting him in the head with a lunch tray. Um, I, I, I'm trying to, to think. I've been caught doing so many things. Uh, the, the obvious one and the other obvious one. I've been caught doing both of those things. Um, it depends what I mean by caught. I didn't even think of this uh, at the time. Do I mean like eventually found out or interrupted mid-act? I'll maybe, um, you know, this wasn't that bad, but it was embarrassing. And I can tell it on the podcast without getting the rating changed or anything. I, uh, when I was in high school or junior high, I think I got out of the shower, you know, I toweled up and I uh, put the towel around myself, around my waist. I opened the door to leave. And as I was leaving, I caught my uh, skinny coat rack reflection in the mirror and was like, oh, yeah, Steve, looking good. And I popped both arms up to do a Hulk Hogan flex. And as I did that, the towel fell down around my waist. So I, an extraordinarily skinny 14-year-old, was standing there nude, flexing in the mirror as my mom came around the corner and burst into laughter. Like, she was not cool about it at all. She was straight up, ah! <laughs> uh, as she did also, uh, was clearly very ashamed <laughs> of, uh, you know, anyways. So that was, uh, if not the worst, it made for a good story. Finally, this is time for some deep, dark introspection. Avery, what is your least favorite thing about yourself? Least favorite thing about myself? Uh, probably the fact that I'm very nearsighted. Ooh. I'm incredibly no seriously. My glasses, like prescription on my glasses, are incredibly strong because I cannot see anything more than ten inches in front of me clearly. Like right now, if I were to take my glasses off, it's all blurry. I I cannot see anyone's face clearly, and I and my laptop is right in front of me. Like I cannot see anyone's face clearly. So yeah, being mm. so near side, it's not even funny. I hate. <laughs> that's that's a good one. Uh, you do wear the hell out of those glasses, though. Well done. I, I'm still, I've never heard that expression before. These hands are rated E for everybody. That rules. <laughs> um, <laughs> Megan, what's your least favorite thing about yourself? Um, that's a great question. Um, it's not my least favorite thing. I don't like being vulnerable in any way, shape, or form. So I feel like our friendship might need to take a pause because you're making me answer this question. Um, <laughs> uh, what I really like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like having feelings about anything. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Um, but honestly, Good answer I think right okay. there. well, yeah, but I think the thing, no, I don't really hate that about myself uh, because I feel like at some point in time, I got to get over that. Uh, no, I think the thing I probably dislike the most about myself is that I, um, 
I'm really good at hiding how I feel about things. And so then mm. when I want to like have a, an emotional response to something, it comes across as very out of character because people yep. don't necessarily know that I like actually have feelings. So then when I do, I just look like I'm a crazy person because I'm usually very much like a duck just swimming in the water. Everything is calm and cool uh, until you look underneath and like, oh, things are not okay. That's probably, that, I think that's my toxic trait. That makes sense. I have a great answer. Got personally, I've got a real uh, laundry list. Uh, I will say I also like a lot about myself, but um, I'm tempted to say that my least favorite thing about myself is I'm a real procrastinator. I feel like I don't make the most out of my opportunities and gifts and whatever that I I just am disorganized. But I think what I like even less, and this is more a fear. I don't know if it's true. I'm never consciously like using people. But I uh, fear that I'm just a tourist who likes to drop into people's lives and use them for my own benefit and then like spider balloon parachute out of there. You know what I mean? Which mm -hmm. I'm never trying to do, but I'm afraid that's what I do. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a, a the dark corner of my soul. If you're hanging out with me, watch out that I'm not just using you for my own benefit in a way that I'm probably not even aware of. But uh, it's, you could make a case that that is something that I do if you look at my life. Um, so I hope that I'm not doing that. But maybe I am. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's the show on that note. I don't know. If uh, you want to go out on a joke, you guys want to hear a joke so we end on a slightly happier note? Yes, please. <laughs> a man rushes into a doctor's office. And he's frantic. He's like, you got to give me the doctor. I need to see the doctor right now. It's an emergency. Give me the doctor. Give me the doctor. Give me the doctor. And finally, the nurse like goes back and gets the doctor. And the doctor comes out and says, take it easy there, Sonny. What seems to be the problem? And the man says, doctor, you've got to help me. I'm losing my memory at an alarming rate. And the doctor says, say, hey, that is serious. When did this begin? And the man says, when did what begin? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. This has been Rig Radio with Megan and Avery and Steven. Sending one out to Alex, the original Rig Radioer. The end. <laughs>